0: Would you please jump up on your feet, give a big gathering welcome to Skylar Farley as he comes to close out our encounter? Well, I'm uh, excited to be with you guys. And I told Paul when I first got here, um, I've been trying to, I tracked with Pastor Terry. Uh, you know, worked with her for four years at the refuge to try to listen to her message Sunday night. I get a sense of where I was coming. And there was something that Paul said on the front end, uh, Pastor Paul, sorry, <laughs> Pastor Paul said on the front end about, pursuing God with intensity and with intentionality. And I was like, these are my people. Because almost every time after I preach, I come home, I tell my wife, man, I think that was too intense. I wish I could like tone it down. And some of my favorite guys to listen to are people who are not wired like me at all. They're the teachers, they're calm, they're meticulous. And I'm just not that guy. Every time I try to dial it back, I'm like five minutes into the message and I've just hit foot to the gas, it's like there's no coming off of it now, like here we go, Um, so we'll see if we get there here in a minute, but I do feel like I'm at home, there's some familiar faces in the crowd, Rebecca, haven't seen you in a long time, Jade, and Kyle, and Gabe, and Allison, and Rick, who I just gave a hug, I'm excited to be with you you guys tonight, and I could feel through the video recording that I was watching, the hunger that was present here, could feel as Kalani was leading worship, I love that you guys have had Pastor Terry, she's one of my favorite preachers in the world multiple times. And so I just, I feel like I'm in the company of family. But here's the beautiful thing. Even if I didn't feel that, it would be true. You know that? Like, we are part of an eternal family. You know, I do campus ministry. I'm a campus missionary at UNC Charlotte. I oversee a network of campuses throughout the southeast. And, you know, sometimes there can be these rival things. And we try to say these cliche things like same jersey. And I was talking about how we believe in unity and diversity as some of our core values to our new students the other day. And I just, as soon as it was about to come out of my mouth, same jersey, I was like, no, that's not deep enough. It's same spirit. Do you realize that you and I are carrying the same spirit? The same spirit of God is living inside of us and organically connecting us together to the family of God. And if I don't get a chance to meet you tonight and our paths never cross again, we can hang out at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? And we're going to have a long time to get to know each other in eternity. I want to tell you, number one, before I get into my message, that you need to preach the gospel to each other more often. A lot of times we think about preaching the gospel to the lost, but I want to tell you the greatest form of encouragement is preaching little bits of the gospel back to each other. I love doing this with some of my closest friends, with some of our student leadership team. It might sound like this. Two of my closest friends, I sent a text the other day, and I said, do you realize that one day we're going to see each other in eternal, resurrected, glorified bodies? Like, Avengers has nothing on that. You know that scene? Come on, you guys aren't that sanctified. You've seen Endgame where, you know, the circles come up and all the guys that disappeared into dust in Infinity Wars, they come back and you're like, yeah. There's a day coming in human history where the dead in Christ will rise. And in the twinkling of an eye, they're going to be changed into the same image. That's reality. That's reality. I think about a story that stuck with me about some missionaries. They were getting ready to press into a dangerous territory, and they were wondering whether it was wisdom. And one of the women in the group spoke up, and she said, guys, don't we believe that even if we die, we get resurrected bodies? And that was all the courage they needed to press forward. That was the word of wisdom to enter in and to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. I love doing this one. I love encouraging people and saying, someday, do you realize that we're going to step onto that crystal sea of glass and we're going to see a blinding light and hear the eternal song that the four living creatures have been hearing forever? Can you imagine the first time the sound of holy and the sound of the flap of their six wings? Holy! Holy! Come on, you're not going to get one step. You're going to have half a toe on that crystal sea mingled with fire, and your face is going to hit the ground. And 10,000 years later, you're going to get up, and you're going to catch a new side of his face and back down to the ground. Holy! You're going to hear that song. That should do something to the human heart. So I want to encourage you. You need to preach the gospel to each other more often. I have to credit Bob Gladstone, one of my favorite Bible teachers, for giving me this language. He calls it the eight wonders of the gospel. And he says it goes like this, eight facets of the gospel that tell the full story of Jesus. It's the preexistence of Jesus, his eternality, his Jewish pedigree, through the line of Abraham, through the line of David, his virgin birth, the incarnation, his life, which includes his whole way of life, his miracles, his deeds, his teachings. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return. And typically our preaching of the gospel takes us right up to the resurrection and we miss the beauty and the reality of the ascension. And tonight I want to hold up just one of those wonders of the gospel in the light like a diamond. And I want us to corporately behold the beauty and the majesty of Christ ascended in glory and what that means for the church and what that means for the human heart. I want to encourage you tonight. I really felt like, and I think this is true of most church gatherings, we're wired to think about responding individually. But when you read the epistles, it's almost always one of the apostles writing to whole churches and cities, and they're calling them to respond together. I want to encourage you to lean in tonight and not just have an I will, but have a we will do this. That we will together as the church in Albemarle, as the church in Stanley County, as the body of Christ, respond together. And I believe that if you'll do that, there will be lasting fruit that will shake the foundations of this city. I want to pray for you and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 1. Father, tonight I pray that Ephesians 1... 17 reality for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. I ask that you would open our eyes to corporately behold your glory that rests in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we consider him, that our hearts would be transformed. I pray for the deepest level of of heart transformation as we together behold and encounter Christ in His ascension. I pray that you would give us a revelation of Christ, high and highly exalted name that's above every name. And I pray that you would help us to live under that reality. And realize that the things that we're talking about tonight are not fairy tales. They're not children's stories. It's a present reality. And it's all part of our inheritance. We pray these things in the precious name of your son. And everybody said, amen. If you have your Bibles with you tonight... Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in the first verse. I'll give you just a second to catch up with me. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go, into heaven. Can you imagine this for just a second? Can you go there with me? You're standing on the Mount of Olives. My wife, by the way, Courtney, is sitting here in the back, Wave at everybody, holding our little daughter, Olive. Olive because Jesus took off from the Mount of Olives and one day he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives before he marches through the east gate of Jerusalem, right? It's our glorious hope. But imagine that you're gathered together after having received convincing proofs that Jesus is in fact alive. Not not a, a spirit, not a ghost, but physically alive. Nail scars in his hand, pierced in his side, bearing an eternal memorial to his crucifixion. Eating fish, giving convincing proofs that he's not just a spirit, he's a body. And then you're standing there gathered around him. And he's giving you instructions about waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, a parallel passage, he gives them the great commission. And then he takes off from the earth. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus taking off from the earth and piercing through the clouds. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't go right like maybe 10 feet above the clouds and park it? And sit in a gold lazy boy? And he hasn't been there for the last 2,000 years Popping grapes in his mouth while chubby-winged babies play golden harps. You know what Ephesians three says, or sorry, Ephesians one20 20 through twenty three says it says that God has seated Christ at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above. Everybody say far above, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. You know that I actually had the opportunity to quote this verse to a Satanist on campus the other day. Was out doing gospel conversations, and the kid tells me, I worship Satan. And he starts telling me about how there's a lot of different gods. And I said, no. There's a verse that says, when Jesus went up, he went above every power and principality, rank and ruler, and received a name that is far above. Have you had a revelation of Jesus Christ seated far above? You know what I love to picture? Jesus Christ comes up from the resurrection. He's ransacked hell. He holds the keys to hell, death, and the grave. Ephesians also says that he took captivity captive. And as he's ascending on high with hell, death, and the grave in his procession as prisoners of war, all the demonic powers and principalities have to watch as Jesus goes up. Every demon had to fix their eyes as Jesus Christ was made a spectacle before them. And he just kept going up and up and up and up until he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine what the ovation sounded like in heaven as Jesus, who's left for 33 years, he was obedient to the Father's will. What they were thinking is, Jesus is re-entering heaven. Can you imagine what the sound was like on that day? Let your imagination get sanctified for a moment as you think about this real moment that took place. And as you consider, where is Jesus now? He's there right now. I love what the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said in reference to Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. He says, the carnal man has nowhere else to look when circumstances and life gets tough. All he can do is look at the circumstances or he can look to drugs, he can look to alcohol, he can look to sex and pornography because he has nowhere else to look. But if you're in Christ tonight, you can look above the clouds of this life, and you can look unto Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. You can see the Son of Righteousness, who sometimes is blinded by the clouds, but He's fixed there. Do you know what the real John 3.16 of the New Testament is? The most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110. I love John 3.16. This is not to knock on John 3.16. I'm an evangelist. i got to stake my life on that verse. Psalm 110, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It meant that it featured large in the theology of the apostles in the early church, and it was a major part of their proclamation. And it says this, the Lord said to my Lord, be seated at my right hand until I make your enemies A footstool beneath your feet. It goes on to talk about how he'll have a willing army on the day of battle that will come to him like the dew of the morning. And he says, I have become your father. I've made you a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, our great high priest. And I'm not going to preach a whole thing on Psalm 110, though it's looming in the background tonight, but I want you to know that it establishes that Jesus is not only from the line of David, but Jesus himself referencing this passage. It establishes Jesus Christ's divinity as the Son of God. Jesus once said, whose son is the Messiah? And the religious teacher said, he's the son of David. He said, then why did David, who was a prophet, when having a vision, say, the Lord said to my Lord, How could David call his own son, my Lord, unless Jesus Christ came before him? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the line of David, sitting at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are placed beneath his feet. He's our eternal high priest. means that you have a sympathetic high priest who is without sin. He understands your weakness. And he's gone in and offered his own blood to cleanse the heavenly temple, not the shadow that's on earth, but the real thing so that you can have 24-7 access to the mercy seat of God. And he didn't have to offer his blood over and over and over again, once for all time. These are amazing realities established by Psalm 110. Encountering the ascended Lord also has the ability to break off unhealthy spiritual familiarity. You ever read a passage that you've read so many times and rather than it bringing new revelation, you just kind of like gloss over it? Or you just kind of like sang the same songs you've thought about Jesus or here's another Easter, here's another Christmas service, we're talking about the incarnation again, right? I want you to think about John the beloved disciple, John the revelator. He's been following Jesus for over 60 years. He's probably in his 90s. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. And he said, it was the Lord's day, and I was caught up in the spirit. And he receives the book of Revelation, which is, Revelation just means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Not just of spooky end time events, right? But first and foremost, it is the unveiling, the, the pulling back of the veil of the man Jesus Christ Christ who is holding the title deed to planet Earth. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ's perfect leadership to guide human history to its appointed climax. And you're probably familiar with the passage in Revelation 1 where John hears a voice speaking to him. He says, I turn around to look at the voice that was speaking to me. Hair white like wool. Eyes like burning fire. Golden sash. Feet like burnished bronze. His voice sounds like the rushing of many waters. And out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. And John says, when I saw him, I fell to the ground as though I were a dead man. This is the same John who had Leaned against his beloved's chest at the dinner table. This is the one who wrote of himself, the disciple Jesus loved. But when he saw Christ in his ascended glory, all that familiarity, all the years, he hits the ground and he falls there like a dead man. But Jesus Christ comes and touches him on the right shoulder and he says, Do not be afraid. For behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. I want to tell you that beholding and encountering Christ in his ascension has the ability to take things that we view in the gospel as just having happened in the past and bringing them into the present reality, making them a now. A lot of us live with this perspective that, The Bible stories are kind of over and done. They've happened, right? And we feel far removed from that. I always think that that account in Acts chapter 1, specifically verses 10 through 11, are some of the most ironic statements. It says that they were straining their necks, looking up into heaven as Jesus disappears in the cloud. It's like, come on, we don't see this stuff every day. And then the two angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, why are you staring up into the sky? In the same way he went up, he'll one day come back. Do you understand that contained in that statement are the bookends of the hour of history that you're living in? You live in one of the most significant periods of biblical history. You are living between the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ. The ascension of Jesus Christ inaugurated the period referred to as the last days. So I want to talk to you tonight about what the ascension means for the church. (laughs) First of all, the ascension means outpouring. I'm guarding these papers tight because I'm afraid these fans are going to take them off. First of all, the ascension means outpouring. Let's go just 10 days forward in the life of the early church and the first disciples after Jesus' ascension. He's told them to wait in Jerusalem until the promised gift of the Holy Spirit is given to them. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Skipping down verse 14, it says, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I want to tell you, these are those days. This is the period referred to as the last dates. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One translation, I believe it's the ESV, Peter's language is, this is that. People are thinking they're drunk, they're out of their mind, they're all speaking these different languages, how could this be so? And when the Holy Spirit comes, it actually brings a level of sobriety, it brings a level of, oh, this is where we're at in God's storyline. He puts his finger on the scriptures and he says, this is actually that moment. I want to ask you, gathering church and people from other congregations that are here tonight, was this the end of that or the beginning of that? Come on, somebody. Is it, was this the end of that period or the beginning, the inauguration of that period? Come on, you only got to go two chapters further in Acts. And two of the apostles have just been let out of prison and they gather together for prayer and the Holy Spirit's poured out again. And the, meat and the building shakes again. And they're filled with boldness to go out and preach again. And then go to Acts chapter 10. Peter, at the invitation of the Holy Spirit, goes to Cornelius' house. And the Gentile Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit gets poured out on Gentiles. Do I have any non-Jews in the room tonight? I'm grateful for that day. And what we should expect and what I want to speak to you tonight is that ascension means outpouring. And we have seen this all throughout history. All of us have the Holy Spirit indwelling us if we're born again believers, but there are periods where God rips open the heavens over regions and he starts pouring out his spirit on all flesh and multitudes start getting saved. The carpet in the in-between gets pulled out from underneath people. The fence that people are sitting on gets electrified and everything goes black and white. You either love Jesus Christ and you're all in or you hate the move of God. There is no middle ground when revival starts getting poured out. Whole regions start coming under the sway of the hand of the Holy Spirit. God consciousness begins to rise. I love reading. If you don't read the history of revivals, you've got to read about the Hebrides and these different revivals where people are just walking in the fields and they fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and give their life to the Lord. Duncan Campbell, the preacher of the revival, wasn't even speaking in their native tongue, so it would be the people who were at the revival meetings, hearing the message, going home, and most of the salvations weren't even happening in the church. They were happening back at the house when people would go translate what was going on. you got to read about Wesley and Whitfield and Finney and these guys that were traversing the East Coast. Drawing crowds of 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people with no microphone. Flipping cities upside down. you got to think about Ephesus in the early church. Millions of dollars of witchcraft and occult paraphernalia being burned in the middle of the city. you got to get a vision of a revival that's more than just good meetings. That looks like a whole city getting flipped upside down where the power bases get broken and the strongholds come crashing down. It's Pastor Nathan talking to me about being a high schooler during Brownsville and going into the the school and there's kids trying to unlock their locker and they're still under the power of the Holy Spirit from the meeting the weekend before and they can't even get their locker open. I read about the other day, there's a school where an entire friend group came out as trans at the exact same time? What would it look like if an entire friend group of like 40 kids all got saved at the same moment and filled with the Holy Ghost? Come on, flip the script. Change the narrative. Believe that God has done it before and he will do it again. In Acts 2, 32 through 33, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Because Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Jesus said, and it's either John 14, 15, or 16, it's one of his upper room discourses. He says, and I will go to the Father and ask him to send you the helper. How many of you know that Jesus got that prayer request? Jesus has gone to the Father, and he's asked for the helper to be poured out. But here's what I want you to know. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out for goosebumps, but for gospel proclamation. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out for goosebumps, but for gospel proclamation. Ascension means mission. The ascension means it's on. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. I was hesitant to say this because I don't want to compare operations of the Holy Spirit. I love tongues. I, I love people falling out in the Spirit and getting a touch from God. But what I want to ask is a lot of times people say, did you get tongues or did you fall, did you get slayed in the Spirit? My question is, but did you become a witness? Did you get empowered by the Holy Spirit and get compelled from the inside out that you had to speak about Jesus? Has that happened in your life? I'm not making you question whether you have the Holy Spirit or you don't. It just may be laying dormant and I'm here to remind you of your role as a witness. Jesus said, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And that is exactly what we see throughout the book of Acts. Spirit-empowered believers are witnessing Everywhere. Brought before a beggar with no money to give him, they witness. Standing in the temple, they witness. Brought before the Sanhedrin, they witness. Standing in front of their jailers, they witness. Standing in front of an angry mob with stones in their hand ready to stone them, they witness. In the marketplace, in the academic hall, in the synagogue. From home to home, everywhere they are, they are bearing witness to Christ. The Spirit came on them and they got contagious for Jesus. More contagious than COVID. Come on. They gossiped the gospel everywhere they went. And I want to call you as a Spirit-empowered church to do the same. Do not allow the building you meet in to represent your footprint in the city. I'm going to say that again. Do not allow the building you meet in to represent the footprint of your impact in this city. As a spirit-empowered church, let every place you go become a potential site for a God encounter. If you're a student, that means that there is no safe place in your school where somebody can't encounter Christ. That means that your workplace is not shut off. There's no separation. It's every area of your life becomes a possible site for encounter. Paul once said from prison that the gospel cannot be chained, but we often voluntarily put the gospel in a box and call it the church. That's a funny story, just real quick. One time, I was, as I was a middle school youth pastor, one of my youth leaders had sent me a reasonable question. He was like, hey, what did Paul mean when he said in the beginning, I think it was Philippians, that he was a prisoner for Christ, and I tried to give him some, like, revelatory answer, and, you know, well, he felt indebted to Christ, and his life belonged to Jesus, and I was like, oh, wait, actually, it just means that, like, literally, he was in jail for being a Jesus follower. And here's Paul in chains, having limited mobility and opportunity to move around, and yet he said the gospel can't be chained. Let's not voluntarily chain the gospel. Two weekends ago, I believe it was, I was at a Love Life prayer walk, and something that was said really struck, stuck with me. I, I forget the exact stat, whether it was globally or just nationally, but Love Life has become one of the largest weekly prayer meetings. One of the largest weekly prayer meetings, because they're in all these different cities now. And I want you to think about that for just a second. One of the largest weekly prayer meetings is happening right outside the darkest places in cities all across the U.S., Think about that for just a second. Famous missionary C.T. Studd once said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. It's time for the church to stop waiting for hell to bring the fight to the doorstep of the church. And time for the church to take the fight to the doorstep of hell. As famous evangelist Reinhard Bonnke said, I want to plunder hell and populate heaven. Man, it's time for us to get a sense of, man, I want my name. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill who said, my ambition is for my name to be known in hell. I want her to ask, when hell has a board meeting, has your name ever come up? Are you such a threat to the powers of darkness in your city that they're like, man, oh, Pastor Paul is about to get up in 30 minutes and start praying. Man, today he's going to be meeting with so-and-so, and I know that their marriage is going to get fixed if they sit under his counsel. We can't let this meeting happen. Right. Think about the story of the seven sons of Sceva. They're just trying to rip off the ministry of Paul, and they try to cast out some demons. And it doesn't go so well. They get their tails kicked, and the demons respond. Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? Right. You know, one of the things that fire naturally does, it spreads. Unless it is intentionally contained, fire will naturally spread. If you've been baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit, it should be naturally spreading everywhere you go. Unless we are voluntarily containing it. So ascension means outpouring. Ascension means mission. Number three, ascension means lordship. Part of the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus saves, and I love that part of the gospel. But it's also that Jesus rules. The gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus is king, and he's the king of the kingdom, and he's going to subvert every kingdom of this world. All the beast kingdoms are going to be overthrown, and Jesus will rule literally, tangibly on planet earth. Praise God for that. How many of you know that God is a good king and we long for his rule and his reign to be established on earth as it is in heaven? Because Jesus ascended, he is Lord of heaven and earth. In Matthew 28, another parallel passage as I mentioned uh, to the ascension, the moments before the ascension, Jesus starts the Great Commission. The foundation for the Great Commission is that ALL, capital A-L-L, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. You will have authority in your life not to the extent that you claim it, and not to the extent that you try to hang on to control. But you will have authority in your life to the extent that you surrender and submit to the Lordship of Christ. Kyle Fairfield, I can't really see him because of the lights, but he's a phenomenal police officer. I've heard his heart, I know how he conducts himself. When Kyle shows up on the scene, he has authority because he's a commissioned representative of the law. He carries a badge because of the car that he drives, he has authority. We have authority as representatives of Jesus Christ, like deputized ambassadors. Only to the extent that we're under his authority. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Had a conversation with a student on campus the other day. We do a lot of conversation starters using whiteboards, different conversation prompts. Always trying to beeline back to a conversation about Jesus. Always trying to get to share the gospel with people. And I never take for granted if somebody comes up and they mark that they're a Christian or that they believe that Jesus is the son of God. That they're actually saved or that they know Jesus personally. Especially... In the cultural South, that can mean that grandma was a believer. That can mean that's what I was taught to believe. That can mean that I've had good church attendance. I went to youth group. But that does not mean that you are born again. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've repented of your sins and placed saving faith in Jesus. So I get talking to this kid. Something you hear commonly is, uh, yeah, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm kind of doing my own thing. And I don't really think I need, like, church and all that type of stuff. And I might ask something like, hey, well, do you view church or community As something that can serve you to better you as a disciple? I mean, that's certainly part of it. Or do you view it as an opportunity to lay your life down for the sake of the greater good? And their response to that question is usually telling. We kept just probing just a little bit further. And I finally got to the point where I just asked him point blank. I said, is Jesus Lord? And he looked me straight in the face and he said, no. He said, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. And I don't want anybody to have control over my life. He said, you walked up and you marked Christian. Christian means Christ follower, but you just told me by your own confession, Jesus is not Lord. Whatever his name was, that person is Lord. Am I hearing you right? He goes, yeah. I want to ask you tonight is Jesus Lord over your life? Some people wake up in the morning and they state positive confessions over themselves. I want you to encourage you to wake up in the morning and confess Christ as Lord. Get out of bed in the morning and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Here I am. However, the Lordship of Christ cannot be reduced to merely a confession we make with our mouth. It's a reality we live under. It's a lifestyle marked by obedience to Jesus. It sounds like this. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Say that again, don't follow your heart. That is like the the, the most satanic lie, it's the secular narrative. Don't follow your heart. The heart is deceptively wicked. Follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth now. That's what the ascension states. He's already seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rank and ruler. The question is, do you agree with him? I want to encourage you to agree with Jesus in every area of your life and not be embarrassed about it. Agree with the Lordship of Jesus in your sexuality. Agree with the Lordship of Jesus about your identity. Agree with the Lordship of Jesus about what you let through your eyes and what's on your television screen or your cell phone uh, screen. Agree with the Lordship of Jesus about every area of your life. Number four, ascension means body. Never forget that the height of Christ's exaltation speaks of the depth of His humility. This is one of my favorite things to think about, is that we'll never have a true concept of how low Jesus went to become born of the Virgin. To walk the earth, to kneel, to stoop and wash sinners' feet, Until one day when we arrive on that crystal sea and we realize how low he actually went. The height of his exaltation is the depth of his humility. And it's one of the most beautiful attributes of who Jesus is. The height of his exaltation speaks of the depth of his humility. What does that have to do with Christ and his body? That ascension means body. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10 says this. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Last night, knowing that I was coming here, I always put my son to bed and we have a rather long bedtime routine. He won't let me drop a single part of it. There has to be a book read sometimes two. There has to be a Spider-Man story that I make up on the spot. There, uh, we're trying to get good morals in there though. Usually it ends with don't be a bad guy, be a good guy. Um... There, there has to be a prayer story, and then we we say our prayers, and I lay him in his bed, and he always says, Daddy, sit chair, and I have to go sit in his chair for at least a minute, and then I get up, but last night, I was like, you know, it's kind of calm in here, it's peaceful, I'm just going to sit, I'm going to meditate on the ascension for a while, and I was just having thoughts about the ascension, and just trying to fix my mind on, on some of the things that would be spoken about tonight, and then I walk out of this kind of... A, you know, spiritual, thinking about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's very spiritual, you know. And the first thing I see when I walk out, you know, my wife is feeding. We have our, you know, two-month-old baby. And I look, the dishes need to be done and the trash needs to be taken out. And I'm like, man, come on. Like, it's like thinking about the ascension and, like, trash and dishes. What does He ascended mean? But that He also descended. I think for me, I mean, I've Meditate on many of these realities I've already spoken about many times, but that was maybe the new part for me this time. Is like, this has to get super practical. That for us to be a body that demonstrates the ascension and the nature of Christ's exaltation, we must be a humble people who put on the same mindset and attitude as Christ, which is Philippians 2, in our dealings and our relationship with one another, valuing the person to our right and to our left more than we value ourselves. And not separating the super spiritual from the mundane and the unimpressive. Christ voluntarily put on weakness to display the true character and nature and a, a perfect reflection of who the Father is. Ephesians 4 7 through 16. Flip there with me real quick. Ephesians 4 7 through 16. Says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Again, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to read that last verse again. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If you are part of the body of Christ, organically joined to the body of Christ You have a role to play in bringing this church, this congregation, into the fullness of maturity of Christ. Have you ever considered what the physical evidence of Christ's ascension on the earth is? I'll give you just 10 seconds to think about. Have you ever considered what physical evidence exists on planet earth of the ascension of Christ? It's his body. His body makes a literal statement that Christ has ascended and he is the head. In Ephesians 3, you want a high view of the church? Ephesians 3.10 or 3.11 says this. It says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know sometimes it doesn't look super impressive when we gather together. I know sometimes it's like, man, we we feel weak and we struggle to pray and worship. But do you know that every time we get together, it actually makes a statement to the powers of the air? Did you know that's part of God's eternal purpose? And every time we get together as the ecclesia, as the gathering of the saints, and we're joined together in this organic spirit-to-spirit union, it evidences the fact that Jesus has gone up and he's the head of his body. That's a high view of the church. I want to tell you it's happening even right now. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Have you, I, once you see this, you're, you're not going to be able to miss it in all the epistles, all the gospels, all the way throughout the New Testament. This is how grace works. It empowers you to grow into what God has already made true of you. Again, to quote Bob Gladstone, this is so helpful to me. He says, when Paul taught on grace, it always included the indicative, you are, and the imperative, therefore, right? It's like, you are adopted sons of God, right? Therefore, act like it. Man, the wall of enmity between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. Therefore, protect the bond of peace. You are righteous in Christ. Therefore, get all the sexual immorality out of you. So Paul is able to speak about a thing that already exists, the body of Christ, and yet also call them to grow up into it. And this is how grace works. You are the body of Christ, yet evidence it through the way that you gather together. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Churches all across America were just hemorrhaging people over political issues and over mask or no mask and all these different things. Let me tell you, friends, now is not a time to forsake the gathering of the saints. We evidence it by our humility. We evidence it by using the grace, the gifting that's on our life to serve others in love. We we evidence it by making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, in other words, is also not the hour to be offended. Now is the opportunity. Now is the hour to let love cover a multitude of sins, to forgive your brother, forgive your sister, protect the unity of the body. To let Christ be Lord of your mouth and before the critical thing comes out, find something in them redemptive and speak to it. Because this is making a statement whether you realize it or not that Christ has gone up and Jesus is Lord and we are a different type of people. Hebrews ten twenty five. that don't forsake the, the saints passage I love this part. It says, all the more. Everybody say, all the more. All the more. As you see the day, that's capital D, the day, the day of the Lord, the great and terrible, the awesome and glorious day of the Lord, which is the end of the age. All the more, as we get closer to that day, man, be the body. Be the visible body in Albemarle and in Stanley County. My last and closing point, if the band wants to come back up, it's going to go quick, is that ascension means the stage has been set for Christ's return. The stage is set. To go back to what I referenced in Acts 1 10 and 11, Jesus ascends, he disappears in the cloud. The men are straining their neck, they're looking up. The angels show up, they say, Men of Galilee, why are you looking up into the sky? In the same way he went up, he'll one day come down. Here's what I want to tell you. Not only do we evidence the ascension of the Lord every time we gather, but every time we gather in Jesus' name, we're making an eschatological statement. If you're not familiar with the word eschatological, it means end of the age. It's, it's, as it relates to the end, we're making a statement about the, the climax of human history. Every time we preach the gospel, we're making an eschatological statement. We are literally standing on the edge of eternity. I make it my aim, and I don't think even if it was my aim, it would go very well for me, to not be polished, to not be professional. I want to be a voice standing on the edge of eternity, calling men, pleading with men, be reconciled to God. We are a people standing on the brink of eternity. I don't know if Jesus is coming in 15 years or 1,500 more years, but here's all I know is that all the disciples and apostles who lived in the first century and the early church fathers after them had a real sense of urgency that it was coming soon. And if in every generation the baton has just continued to be handed off, all I know is that if if he was coming soon then, we're closer than they were. So we want to be a people who live in light of that reality. Friends, the culmination of the age and the climax of human history is soon to break upon us like the rising of the sun. The dawn, the coming of the morning, is soon to break over us. The sun of righteousness is about to break through the clouds and pierce through the darkness. And together we're going to behold his glory love what John Piper says. He said, the king is already at the gate. It's not like he's many miles off and he's soon to get there. It's like Jesus is already at the gate, just ready to bust through. Will we live in light of that day? Ascension means outpouring. It means missions. We're living in the light of that coming day and therefore we want the gospel to go far and to go wide ascension means lordship it means body and it means the stage is set for the return of the Lord friends have you laid hold of the hour of history that you're living in this is an awesome hour to be alive in this is it and I need to say that again because I think some of you maybe a spirit of resignation or whatever has settled on you just because it's been a, a weird couple of years, may the Lord right now, even as I'm speaking, just break the funk off of you and make you realize whether you're in your youth or you're 85 years old, this is an awesome hour to be alive because it's the only hour of history that you're given. I've heard it said before at the wedding supper of the Lamb, Deborah's going to sit down and she's going to tell her story. David's going to sit down. He's going to tell his story. Elijah's going to sit down. He's going to tell his story. Esther's going to sit down. She's going to tell her story. Mary's going to sit down. She's going to tell her story. Timothy is going to sit down and he's going to tell his story. You're going to take your seat and I want to ask you what will be your story. The Bible says that the men who lived in former ages longed to look into the days that you're living in, I think some of the saints who are gathered in the cloud of witnesses right now are going to say, what, did it, what was it like to live under the reality of Jesus ascended? What, what was it like to live on the other side of the cross and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in mass? What was it like to look back on 2,000 years of church history and believe that the same God is still alive and active and waiting on the edge of His seat to do it again? What was it like to live so close to the end of human history and the cover page of eternity? I want to invite you tonight to recalibrate. To let the Lord like do some chiropractic adjustment and, and bring you in line with reality. I tell our students, it's like, I had this revelation after a year of doing evangelism, almost daily on the college campus, people always ask me, oh, what's happening on the college campus, what's your pulse, and finally it hit me the other day, I was like, imagine that you're walking through Times Square in New York City, just day after day, how easy would it be for you to fix your mind on eternity, and the reality of God, just flashing billboards everywhere, just triviality, and just nothingness, just competing for your attention, And I said, these college students don't have flashing billboards, but everything in the spirit realm is trying to pull them away from thinking about eternity. Everything in their life is designed to get their mind off of what actually matters. And I said, friend, if you're going to be a voice of awakening and awaken the eternal cry inside of them, you can't have that spiritual deadness inside of you. You need the Lord to do something on the inside of you. So maybe for you tonight, it's aligning some part of your life with the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe it's remembering that you're a witness. And and being a witness is not a personality type. It's not for the extrovert. Can I tell you that when I was in high school, this is not a lie. Whole days, sometimes week would go by where I would not say a single word at the lunch table. I was that shy, that introverted, that scared of people but now my life is standing on a college campus just talking to random strangers, sometimes open-air preaching the gospel in public places. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, He will make you my witness. Is there a people in the earth who would say like Paul, we are like the psalmist. We believe in God and therefore we speak. You will never, ever regret telling somebody about Jesus. Jesus. You get rejected, it's an opportunity to praise God, to share in the suffering and the reproach of Christ, to bear the scorn of the cross. They receive Jesus, celebrate. They don't. You were faithful, you scattered your seed, celebrate. I wanna call you to be a witness. My prayer for tonight was not just that something dramatic would happen in this meeting, but I'd hear from Pastor Paul and your team a year from now that so many hundreds of salvations have happened in Albemarle and Stanley County. The church is bursting with new growth. We we have so many discipleship messes because there's so many people that are coming to faith. And it would be because, like in the Hebrides, when you would leave here, you wouldn't voluntarily Close, shut up the fire and contain it but it would spread everywhere you go I want you to stand to your feet and on this last night I know you guys have been going after being marked by fire here's the thing I believe in impartation, lay on of hands and we're going to do that at the end and pray for people and specific needs and activation but I think we need to just take a moment in worship and get our eyes on Jesus the ascended one. It's Jesus who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus who baptizes with fire so why don't we look at Jesus the great baptizer why don't we see him seated at the right hand of the Father longing to pour out more historic revival and to awaken the witness inside of you, to awaken boldness for Christ inside of you So we're going to spend some time worshiping, and then we're going to give an opportunity to respond. But I just want you to lock eyes with Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, we just pray, wind did the Holy Spirit just begin to blow through this place? Just pray for the fire of God to just fall on this place right now. Just pray for the spirit of burning to rest on people. Say, come, Holy Spirit, Jesus pour out the Holy Spirit.
1: With breath I'm given, I'll praise You, praise You, 24/7. With every breath I'm given, I'll praise You, praise You, 24/7. With every breath I'm given, I'll praise You, praise You. 7 With every breath I'm given, I'll praise You, praise You. 24/7. With every breath I'm given, I'll praise You, praise You. I'll praise, I'll praise. Tell me just how kind you are. How beautiful are the scars that tell me just how kind you are. How beautiful are the scars that tell me just how kind you are. That tell me just how kind you are. How beautiful are the scars that tell me just how kind you are. Yes, you are, yes, you are. breath I'm giving. I'll praise you, praise you 24-7. With every breath I'm giving, I'll praise you, praise you 24-7. With every breath I'm giving, every breath I'm given, I'll praise you, praise you. 24-7, with every breath I'm given, I'll praise you, praise you.
0: Here's what I want to do right now. If you're here tonight and you want to be activated as a witness whether it's maybe you felt shut up by the fear of man or just the fear of what it would cost your reputation if you started getting bold and just sharing Christ wherever that is for you or you're just like Lord I want more grace on my life let me tell you when the grace of God comes on your life it's like things that were once hard just become easy it's like it just becomes a natural thing And I believe that that the Lord can do a transformative work in your life. If you wanna be activated as a witness tonight, I want you to come down to the front and you're saying, yes, I will. And I'm not gonna be shut up. I'm not gonna be quiet about sharing the gospel. If some of the team can come lay hands on these. Just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint men and women, young and old, to be bold witnesses for Christ. We pray for fire right now. We just pray fire, touch them. Fire of the Holy Spirit, come right now and anoint men and women to be bold witnesses, to gossip the gospel everywhere, to find it more difficult not to talk about Jesus than to talk about him. We pray for just grace, so much grace to just wash over them. We pray for transformative work in their heart. or we pray that you would loose their tongue, We pray for the boldness to be activated even as they go from this place tonight that before the week is over they would find themselves sharing the gospel with somebody. We just pray for a corporate response that the gathering in Albemarle and the church in Stanley County would have an infantry of foot soldiers sharing the gospel. We need We need the intercession, but we also need infantrymen who will do the ground game of preaching the gospel and starting gospel conversations.
1: stay quiet we won't stay quiet we won't stay quiet we won't stay quiet of what you've done and who you
0: are yeah we pray for Jesus the evangelist to stand up in America come on we pray for the re-evangelization of America Right now, in Jesus' name, we pray for the re-evangelization of America, that no longer it would be said that we're a post or a post-post Christian society, but we ask that Gen Z would be saved. Right now, God, we ask for the body of Christ to stand up like Jesus the evangelist. Lord, we ask for the gospel to run swiftly throughout Stanley County. Yeah, anoint us for boldness, God. Just pray for boldness. Pray for boldness, God. Pray for boldness. We're not looking for some creative new strategy. We're praying for boldness, God, to stand up and preach Jesus. drive eternity into people's hearts right now. The reality of heaven and hell, Lord, we ask right now, drive eternity into people's consciousness and into their heart and into their decisions. Father, I pray that we would weep over the lost. I pray for a burden for souls to settle on this congregation. That the real weight of neighbors and friends and coworkers spending eternity separated from Christ would grip our hearts and move us with compassion. Come on, if eternity is not real for you, maybe you've even been here all the way since Monday night with Pastor Terry. Come on, but the worries and the cares of this life and the lures of riches consume all your thoughts. Come on, I want you to place your hand over your own heart and ask God to drive eternity deep into your heart, deep into your consciousness. Come on, that we would be a people marked for eternity. Come on, if, if you're here tonight and you need to make a lordship decision there's some area of your life that's not under the lordship of Jesus I want you to come out from wherever you're at and just give it to Jesus just say, Jesus I agree with your way your way is the better way I bring my life into agreement and into alignment with you Jesus, your way is the better way come on Ascension means lordship. Come under the lordship of Jesus. Come on, if you know that there's some area of your life that just needs to be surrendered to Christ. Come on, I want to tell you that surrender is a joyful thing.